there! Thanks for listening to the Elevate Christian Church podcast. We exist as a church to connect people with God and each other. Today's message comes to us from our lead minister and preacher, Kevin Barton. We hope this inspires you, grows you, and challenges you in your faith and your walk with Jesus. Enjoy! So we're going to finish up a series that we've been in entitled Four Hearts, and it's simply the parable of the sower. So you have these four different types of soil, and what we're saying is these represent four types of hearts that, uh, that we can have. And so in the parable, uh, we, we've talked about it extensively. The, the farmer goes out and he's just throwing seeds and it lands on four different types of soil. Some on the path, some on the rocky soil, some in the, the weeds or thorns, and then some in the good soil. And so for the first three weeks, we've been looking at these soil conditions. We call them heart conditions. And we find out that, that these are adverse soils we've been talking about, the path. Um, the rocks, the thorns. Uh, and we know they're adverse soils because they don't produce any fruit. In fact, the, the, the seed is received, it sprouts up, uh, and then it withers away without producing any fruit. Well, today we're going to talk about the last kind of soil. Jesus calls it the good soil. Uh, we are going to, for our purposes, because we're talking about four hearts, we're going to call this the fruitful heart. And so in the parable itself, Mark chapter 4, verse 8, Jesus says this, And other seeds fell into the good soil and produced grain, growing up and increasing and yielding thirtyfold and sixtyfold and a hundredfold. So, you know, a good and maturing field of wheat is a wonder to behold. And I think that's why the song says the amber waves of grain. It's a beautiful picture. And so in a, in a good year, if you're a farmer, a field might yield a hundred grains of wheat for every little grain that was sown. That's the goal. That's the dream in the farmer's hopeful eyes when he or she goes out and starts sowing these seeds. And sure, a few grains are going to fall on the path. A few are going to fall in the thin limestone soil. A few are going to fall in the thorny area. But, but most, he hopes, will grow up strong and it will flourish in the sun, producing an abundant harvest. This is very much God's desire for us, that we have fruitful hearts. That we actually care enough about those around us to cast the seeds of God's word into their lives and to pray that those seeds take root and produce more and more fruit. So throughout this series, I've kind of challenged you to ask yourself this question each week. What kind of heart do I have? What, what kind of soil is in my heart? Um, because our soil can change. Um, is my heart like the, the soil we talked about week one on the path? The soil so packed down because people are walking back and forth on it that the, the seeds can't penetrate. And so uh, the birds come as soon as it's thrown and they devour the seed and the seed never gets down into the ground. And what we said, that represents a hard heart. That represents a person who may come here and they may hear the word of God, but the, the soil is so compacted in their heart that they, they hear it. But before they leave, before they get to their car, the birds have come and they've taken it because the soil is too hard. 
Is my soil like the rocky soil we talked about, uh, where it was, a, it was very good soil for about an inch, but underneath was this limestone bed of rock, and so the roots couldn't get down. And we said that represents a lot of people who were emotional responders to the Word of God. Someone told some sad story, or, or they were really afraid, and they responded, but when life got hard, they didn't have any roots, so they withered away. <clears throat> or is my heart like the, the thorny soil? Uh, do, do I care so much about the things of this world, about the deceitfulness of riches, about the desire for other things, that God's word is trying to grow in me, but every time it sprouts, those thorns and those weeds wrap around it because we care about the things of the world so much that it kills the plant? Or do I have a fruitful heart? And that's what we're going to talk about today. A heart that is growing and thriving. A heart, hear me, that produces fruit. Jesus says in Matthew chapter 7 that you will know people by their fruit. And so we're going to jump back into the parable of the sower and we're going to talk about the good heart or the fruitful heart, the good soil, the fruitful heart. And what I'd like to do is I'd like to offer you three things that we all need to have in order to have a fruitful heart. Uh, and this is taken from some writings by a lady named Joanne H. Lee, kind of taking um, a little article and kind of adapting it uh, for this sermon. So three things we need to have a fruitful heart. Because at the end of the line, I, I think all of us want the same thing, right? We all want our loved ones to know Christ. We all want to be the salt and the light that Jesus calls us to be. Uh, we all, and if we don't, we should be looking to produce fruit. So three things that we need to have a fruitful heart. Number one is we, we need to have humility to hear. All right, we need to hear the word of God. So let me take you to the very beginning of the parable. Um, and I want you to notice something. I'll point it out to you. It's in Mark 4, 1. It says, again, he, Jesus, began to teach beside the sea. And what kind of crowd was there? Okay, it's not just a crowd gathered. Not just a large crowd gathered, but Mark goes out of his way to tell us that a very large crowd gathered. Man, this is a mega church gathering here. There are thousands of people to hear Jesus. So a very large crowd gathered about him. So he got into the boat and he sat on the sea and the crowd was beside the sea on the land. All right, Luke gives us just a, a tiny bit more insight to what's going on. You, you see this same parable recorded um, in Luke chapter 8. Here's what Luke says. And when a great crowd was gathering and people from town after town came to him. Okay, and so it's like the snowball effect. <clears throat> As Jesus is going from town to town, uh, he's picking up more and more people that are just kind of following him around. And this thing has ballooned to great, great crowds. All right, and so they're hearing the teachings, uh, teachings of Jesus, but they're not really listening. And he's about to thin the crowd out a little bit. That's the, the whole reason for this parable. Okay, so this is why he says, if you go to the middle of the parable, Jesus says this. He says in Mark 4, picking up in verse 9, He who has an ear, let him hear. These words are not preached about enough in my book. Because if you're a student of Jesus, you're going to notice that he repeats this phrase over and over and over again. 
He who has an ear, let him hear. And here's why I think he continues to repeat that phrase. Because it's possible to have an ear and not hear, yeah? It's possible to have two ears and not hear. We all have people in our lives who can repeat exactly what we just said, but we know they weren't listening, right? And some of you are probably elbowing your husbands there uh, uh, or, or your wife. Uh, like we all have that person that you know, we, we will talk to and, and, and we know that they're hearing us because they could repeat back what we say, but we know that they're, they're just not listening. Happens in my house all the time. I'll be watching football and Lindy will come up and she'll just chat me up, man. I'm trying to watch the game and she is like chatty Kathy. And so I can, re- I can repeat exactly what she said to me because I heard her, but I wasn't listening. And so how it usually manifests is like three days later, she's getting all dressed up and I'm like, where, where are you going? She's like, where, no, where are we going? I, you know, we got this thing tonight. And, I'm, and I'm, I'm like, what? What are you talking about? You didn't tell me that. And she said, I did. You were watching the Dallas Cowboy football game, and I told you exactly that we had to do this. Uh, you heard me, but you weren't listening. Anybody have a person in their life like that? Are you a person in another person's life like that? I heard you, but I wasn't listening. Okay, here's what I want you to understand. People do this with the words of Jesus all the time. We call them our Sunday morning gatherings. People pile into churches. The word is preached. They hear it, but they're not really listening. And the reason we can tell they're not listening is because they don't produce any fruit. So Jesus says, he who has an ear, let him hear. And then he expands on this, verse 10. And when he was alone, those around him with the twelve the 12 apostles and and a few other disciples, when the crowds had dispersed, they're asking him about this parable he just told. And he said to them, to you has been given the secret of the kingdom of God. For those outside, everything is in parables. So here's what he's saying, that you can come in here and hear a message. And if you are a true born again believer in Christ, you're going to see the spiritual ramifications of this message. But your friends sitting beside you, they're going to hear a bunch of words from a gray headed preacher, but they're not really going to mean anything because they're not listening. And so Jesus is, is, is saying, I have this large crowd here. There may be thousands of them, but only a few of them are really going to get what I'm saying. Because he says uh, in verse 12, they may indeed see but not perceive, and they may indeed hear, but not understand. All right, so to the crowd, this was a great farming story. Jesus was funny. Jesus was entertaining. Jesus performed miracles, and they like that, but they're, they're not hearing the deep spiritual ramifications of Jesus' word, which is God's word. They can't see, they can't hear, and the net result is that their hearts can never really understand the word of God. They're actually fulfilling an Old Testament prophet, prophecy from the prophet Isaiah who said this in Isaiah 6.10. Make the heart of his people dull and their ears heavy and blind their eyes, lest they see with their eyes and hear with their ears and understand with their hearts and turn around and be healed. See, you're never going to really have a heart change if you're not hearing the word of God the right way. You're never really going to have a heart change if you're not seeing God work in your lives. 
There are plenty of folks who pile into churches every Sunday. They hear the Word of God, but they don't listen. And you know they don't listen because they have not produced any fruit. You know, you may hear the Word of God and even squeak out a, you know, an amen and come up and say, what a powerful sermon, but it ends there. When, when we get home, we do nothing with the Word of God that's been imparted into our hearts. So you're hearing, but not listening. Because when we listen to God, I believe we know exactly what we should do. And that's produce fruit. So the first thing is we need to have the humility to hear God's word. Number two, and this is going to seem a little strange, we need to have imagination and creativity enough to dream. Imagine and crea- imagination and creativity enough to dream. So to be good soil. We must also have this this imagination and this creativity to be able to see beyond what's already happening and towards what might possibly be. Okay, and I think this is done best with other people. When you sit around with other people in the Lord and you start talking and creating and imagining and dreaming what you could do together. I think this works itself out really, really well in our lift groups. Uh, in, our, in our lift groups that meet and, and are, are together and they do life together. I think um, this works really well in our seasonal study. This works really well having friends in the church on Sunday morning worship um, to, to kind of build synergy around each other. Uh, so let me ask you a couple of questions. This is uh, not common in a sermon, but I'm going to ask you a few questions. And I want you to think about these and I really want you to ask yourself these questions. All right, here's the first one. Do you ever dream big for God? I mean, when's the last time you had huge expectations for God to work in your life? When's the last time you've dreamed about doing something mighty for God? Have you ever dreamed big for God? If not, I ask you why. What prevents you from dreaming big? What prevents you from imagining these limitless possibilities of God working in and through your life? Or how about this one? Do you ever dream or imagine about those that you love finally accepting Jesus? Like that person in your family you've been praying for and, and, and just having pity on and, and you know they're lost. Do you imagine what it would look like if you could win them to the Lord? Do you use your imaginations to think about the impact that one seed that you throw can make a huge, huge difference? One tiny seed can make a massive difference. I saw this uh, in, in my own family, right? So my grandfather, my, my, my dad's dad, Vernon Barton, uh, he, he wasn't really a church goer per se. Um, <clears throat> I heard yesterday at our Send Me Saturday um, event, Matt, our, our outreach guy, he, he, he gave us a, a really cool quote, that, and it went something like this. It basically said that um, God doesn't have grandchildren. He's got all kinds of children, but the Lord doesn't have grandchildren. All right, and so what, what, it, what, what that quote means is just because your parents were saved doesn't mean that you get it honestly from them. All right. You have to make that decision whether you're going to follow God. So we're all God's children doesn't have, uh, you know, any any grandchildren. And so I saw this kind of manifest in my family 
My grandfather didn't know the Lord, him and my grandmother. I mean, they were good people. And I think they grew up going to the Methodist church here and there, but weren't, you know, weren't plugged in, didn't go. <clears throat> and a, and a, an evangelist named Nathan Williamson came and, and talked to my grandfather and shared the gospel with him through that seed into his heart, the gospel seed. And my grandfather responded. He gave his life to the Lord. He was saved. He was immersed. My grandmother was also saved. They had five children, one of which was my father. All five of those children received the Lord and were saved. They had 13 grandchildren, I think 13. Uh, all of us are in the church. We all accepted Christ. They have over 30, I lost count, 30 some grandchildren. I gave them, or great grandchildren, I gave them five. Um, I did my part. Um, all of those great grandchildren are in the church. And, and even though grandma and granddad have passed away, they've got great, great grandchildren that are now growing up in the Lord. And so you've got all of these people that were saved because of one seed thrown to my grandfather. And listen, this doesn't count the hundreds and hundreds of other people that I saw my grandfather lead to the Lord. This doesn't count who I've witnessed to and who I have personally led to the Lord. This doesn't count all the other uh, people that my family has won to the Lord. And it all started with a person loving my grandfather enough to throw a little seed into his heart. And it just grew and grew and grew exponentially. Jesus talks about it uh, when he's explaining the parable in verse 20 of Mark 4. He says this, but those that were sown on the good soil are the ones who hear the word and accept it. And here's the money phrase and bear fruit. So let me just pause and, and, and uh, you know, I'm not trying to step on any, any toes. Um, but if you're not bearing fruit, Jesus has an issue with you. And the fruit Jesus is talking about specifically here is we are to lead people to the Lord. Okay, and so to, for the person who has come here for 40 years and left the same way they've come in and they've not borne any fruit, Jesus is going to have an issue with that. So he says, here's the word, accepts it and bears fruit. And here I love this, 30-fold and 60-fold and 100-fold. And so I don't know if you noticed this or not, but in the text, Jesus is using multiplication, not addition. 30-fold, 60-fold, 100-fold. Here's what he's saying. They produce 30 or 60 or even 100 times as much as they planted. With this one little seed, they have 100 grains of wheat. In other words, you can produce a harvest beyond your wildest dreams. Walter Hendrickson, in his book, Disciples Are Made, Not Born, suggests this hypothetical situation that I think really illustrates the process of multiplication uh, and making disciples. Here's the, here's the hypothetical illustration he gives. He says, suppose a father has two sons, all right, and he's going to give them an allowance, okay, and so they have a choice. They can get $1 a week for 52 weeks, that's choice number one, or they can receive a penny the first week and each amount or each week for the next 51 weeks, it will double the previous week's amount. So it starts out slow, right? You get a penny the first week, the next week you get two pennies, the next week you get four pennies and we all know how to do math, I think. So um, I ask you, which one would you choose? 
Start out with a penny for their first week and multiply it by two every other week or a dollar a week for 52 weeks. Well, the first son chose the dollar every week. So at the end of 52 weeks, how much did he have? $52. That's just linear growth. The second son chose the penny to be multiplied every week thereafter. And listen, this is exponential growth. The son that chose this at the end of the year had an unbelievable amount of money. In fact, his allowance in the last week alone, this isn't the total amount accumulated over 52 weeks. This is just the amount of the last week alone. Do you know what his allowance would be? $22 trillion, $517 billion, $998 million, $136,852.48. You see, and it all started with one little penny. Initially, multiplication seems slow. But don't let that deceive you. In the long run, addition never keeps pace with multiplication. And so we have a habit of just using addition in the church. We're going to get them saved, whoosh, get them baptized, now go sit down, right? And we don't pour into them, we don't disciple them. But if we disciple them, we take time. Uh, on the short, in the short run, it seems like it's a lot of work. But over the long run, when that disciple makes other disciples and teaches them to make other disciples, multiplication explodes, and Jesus says the seeds that land in the good soil, man, they will multiply beyond even what you can begin to imagine. I want you to ask yourself one last question and we'll move on. And I know you don't know the answer to this, but how many people will be in heaven because you cared enough to tell them about Jesus? How many people will be with the Lord because we cared enough to cast seeds be, 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 because we had a fruitful heart. So you see, we got to have the humility to hear the word of God, imagining, imagination and creativity to dream about how this thing multiplies. And then finally, the last thing, and this is the hardest, we have to have conviction enough to act. Conviction enough to act. So while hearing and dreaming, uh, that happens internally, Right? This third piece, this outpouring of God, what he's doing within us for the world, our, our, our response to what we've learned and to what we've received. And this is the most important part about being good soil. But it's oftentimes the hardest, right? Because now we've got to live like we believe. We've got to act on our convictions. We've got to persevere in the face of resistance. And we've got to love who Jesus calls the least of these. So how do we do this? How do we have conviction enough to act? What, what are we supposed to do? It is so simple. I mean, it is, it is the simplest thing in the world. We find the answer in the parable itself, verse 3. And it's simply this. Jesus says, listen, exclamation point. So he's trying to get everyone's attention. All right, y'all settle down, listen. And the first thing he says is this. A farmer went out to sow. 
His audience knew exactly the picture he was giving. Picture some burlap bag full of seeds and a farmer standing in the field and he's throwing seeds, trying to, you know, trying to get seeds everywhere, knowing that seeds are going to fall in, in bad places, but he's trying to keep it in the good soil. If it's a big piece of land, he's got a donkey with two bags of seed and, and, he, and he's planting, you know, that field. So this is the picture that Jesus is giving, that, that a farmer went out to sow. He was generously throwing seed everywhere, knowing, now here's the key, knowing that it's not all going to land on good soil, but that everybody, listen, every human being deserves a chance to hear the gospel from our lips and see how the gospel looks from our actions. We don't reserve the right to not throw seeds because they, they seem unlovely or, oh, there's a bunch of addicts over here. They're just going to waste them. Or are these people over here? They're no good. I'm not throwing seed over there. No, we throw seed everywhere. A farmer went out to sow. And so when we leave this church, when we leave our house, everywhere we go, that's all we're doing. We're just throwing seeds into people's hearts. That's it. Just throwing seeds, knowing that it all won't land on good soil. But everyone deserves a chance to hear it. Understanding that if we don't show people the way to Christ, they will die, what we've been talking about for weeks, this second death. This, they'll die physically and then they're going to die spiritually, separated from the kingdom of God. Kevin Carter was a South American photojournalist. And he was on assignment in uh, Sudan in the early 90s. Uh, it, the Sudan in the early 90s was just a horrible place to be. People were starving to death. And so he went um, to take pictures and do some journalism. Uh, and on the first day there, he got off the plane. And about 20 minutes later, Kevin Carter snapped this picture that's going to come up on the screen. It's a picture... A little girl who is emaciated, she's starving to death, and she's crawling, trying to make her way to a feeding center. But you notice there's a vulture there just waiting patiently, because the vulture has a sense that something's about to die. The, the vulture knows. And so Carter stood there for 20 minutes, hoping the vulture would do this with its wings. He never did, so he snapped this picture. Well, in 1993, he won a Pulitzer Prize for this photo that's on the screen. But then questions began to surface. Did the little girl make it to the feeding center? Or did she fall prey to the vulture? Carter didn't know the answer to that. The questions weren't limited to the fate of the child, but extended to his ethics. People began to, began to ask, why did he just stand around taking pictures instead of helping this poor child? The questions turned into accusations. The St. Petersburg Times condemned him saying, quote, the man adjusting his lens to take just the right frame of her suffering might just as well be a predator, another vulture on the scene, end of quote. And they begin to ask, didn't Carter have this moral obligation to put his camera down and to help this little girl make it to the feeding center. No one knows whether she made it or not. And listen, I'm not judging Carter. 
the, the photographer. That's not my place to judge. I know what I would have done in that situation, but I'm not judging him. In fact, it haunted him so greatly that he committed suicide three months after he won the Pulitzer Prize because he couldn't get this image out of his head. And so he, here's what I want you to do. I just want you to focus on that picture for just a second. And I want you, under, I want you to understand the vulture is there because it senses death. And in a very, very spiritual sense, this is how our loved ones who don't know Christ look like. Now, they look great on the outside. They're, they're, they look, their bodies are healthy physically. Uh, they might even laugh and have joy and, and be successful. But spiritually, remember we're born with a damaged soul, a dead spirit, and a physical body. Spiritually, their spirit is dead, and it's starving them to death. So we have a choice. We can be like the photographer and just say, oh, sorry about, your, sorry about the condition you're in. Or we can put down what we're doing and help people to find eternal life in Jesus Christ. Whenever there's death, the vultures gather, man. There's a prophecy in Hosea, Hosea 8.1, that says this. Set the trumpet to your lips. One like a vulture is over the house of the Lord because they have transgressed my covenant and rebelled against my law. So vultures gather when there's death. And in this prophecy, there's, God says, listen, the people are spiritually dead. And the, and the prophet says there's a vulture over the house of the Lord. They're, they're going to the, to the temple and it, it is just dead in there. Jesus says in Matthew 24, 28, whoever, wherever the corpse is, there the vultures will gather. I just simply want to end this by saying, man, our, our, our loved ones, the, the people that we say we care about, are starving to death spiritually. They're emaciated, they're dying. And we hold in our hand these seeds of life, this good news of Jesus Christ, and we can't just keep walking by them without throwing them these seeds. We just cannot do that. James, the brother of Jesus, says this in James 1.22, Be doers of the word and not just hearers only, deceiving yourselves. You see, good soil produces fruit. A good heart produces fruit. And so here's my challenge to you as we end this series and end this message. I pray that, that you have the humility to hear. Okay, and this is why I always say to you, like, um, try your best to not be up till 4 a.m. playing Call of Duty before church. Not that there's anything wrong with staying up late playing Call of Duty, but when you drag yourself in here with three hours of sleep, uh, you may not have the ability to hear the Word of God. This is why I always say, listen, do, do, you know, I know it's hard to get up and get ready for church, but, you know, why don't come rolling in here 10 minutes late uh, because you're all frantic and hectic and you sit down and, and you need 30 minutes to just decompress and the word is already being thrown out and, and you're not re re receiving it. So I encourage you to take your time, get up, make part of getting ready, a worship experience. Pray to the Lord on the way here. I want to be able to receive. I want to hear your word. I've, I'm well rested. I'm ready to hear your word. Humbly hear his word. And then to have the imagination and the creativity to dream. How can I put what I just heard? 
into action. Like, when I get home, I'm going to call that person or, or I'm going to go visit that person that, that I've not told about Jesus. I'm going to say, hey, I just want to let you know I've been praying for you. Jesus loves you. I know you may not receive it, but I'm going to throw that seed anyway. And then to have that conviction to act, not just to pray about it and think about it, but actually do it to show them the love of Christ. I pray that uh, you don't have a hard heart or a, a shallow heart or a crowded heart, my, my prayer for you is that we all would have fruitful hearts. Um, I'm going to ask Andy, if we could just go back to that picture. I pray when, when you get to heaven, man, um, and, and you ask God, well, who did I influence for Christ? You know, I, I felt like I was throwing all these seeds out, but I don't know if anybody is here because of me, that he shows you all the wheat and field and says, listen, all those seeds you threw out, they took hold. And these people are here because you love them enough to throw them a seed. That is our commission. That is our responsibility. That's what Jesus would have us do. We hope you enjoyed listening to our podcast today. If you'd like to learn more about Elevate or partner with us in what God is doing here, check out our website at elevatecc.com. Until next time, God bless you and thanks again.